Thank you for downloading the Kol Hadash podcast. Our high holiday services continue with Rabbi Shalom's Rosh Hashanah morning service, Why Be Jewish? On behalf of Kol Hadash, we wish you a happy and healthy new year. Ten years ago, in my very first Kol Hadash high holiday sermon from this very rock, we explored what Judaism means to humanistic Jews. For us, Judaism is Jewish thought and Jewish culture, Jewish history and Jewish tradition, Jewish freedom and Jewish creativity, and Jewish family and Jewish memory. I began and ended with Yehuda Amichai's poem, Without End. Inside the brand new museum, there's an old synagogue. Inside the synagogue is me. Inside me is my heart. Inside my heart, a museum. Inside the museum, a synagogue. Inside it, me. Inside me, my heart. Inside my heart, a museum. A beautiful image, a never-ending spiral of meaning. Each level could be our Judaism. Judaism is the ancient religious tradition and the actual lived history of the synagogue. Judaism is the new creativity of a museum made for future generations. Judaism is the personal experience of the individual. Judaism is the heart of emotional memory. Some of you may remember that sermon, or at least you may remember the story I told about how hard it can be to define the tradition. Many years ago, in a synagogue in Eastern Europe, there was a conflict over what the real tradition was. At a certain point in the service, half of the congregation would stand, and the other half would remain seated. And so those who were standing would yell at those sitting to stand, and those who were sitting would yell at those standing to sit. And the service would break down into yelling. So they went to the oldest man in the shtetl, and they asked him, what is the tradition? The first group, the ones that stood, explained their perspective, and he said, no, that's not the tradition. So then the sitters came forward and said, it must be to sit then, right? No, that's not the tradition. Well, right now, half of us stand and half of us sit and everybody else. Ah, that's the tradition. <laughs> 10 years ago, there was a question behind that sermon on Judaism for humanistic Jews that I did not ask, but we must answer. Before what is Judaism, why be Jewish at all? A Yiddish saying proclaims, it's hard to be a Jew. Certainly the case when the saying was first coined under violent pogroms and persistent persecution. In our generation, we had hoped that anti-Semitism was the distant past, but this summer saw everything from protesters in Paris attacking a synagogue to an NFL color commentator joking that his broadcast partner, Josh Lewin, invented copper wire fighting over a penny with a family member. Remember the white supremacist who went to a Jewish community center in Kansas City and killed three people? It turns out none of them Jewish. Now, before we all run for the hills, we should recall that this summer it was the French police, along with Jewish self-defense, that protected that synagogue, the exact opposite of the pogroms under SARS or Kristallnacht under the Nazis, 
when the police were the problem. That bad NFL joker immediately suspended, immediately apologized. These incidents are shocking to us because they are rare, foreign to our experience as American Jews. Here, we are largely accepted and comfortable. We are integrated enough to be overrepresented in Congress. And we are lovable enough that the rest of America keeps marrying us. Now, the reality of open love in a free society may make it hard to be a Jew in new ways, but celebrating love is far better than facing hate. Unfortunately, real anti-Semitism beyond bad jokes persists in too many places. Sometimes the why be Jewish question is answered by spiting our enemies. You want us to disappear? Too bad. This summer also showed that it can be hard to be a Jew when that identity is more than just culture and heritage, but also a living connection to a Jewish state. Many rabbis, and this week the New York Times, report that Israel is the third rail of sermonizing, something they don't want to touch with a 10-foot yod or Torah pointer. Not because they don't care about Israel, but because they will be criticized no matter what they say express sympathy for dead Palestinian children, even at a place as liberal as New York's flagship LGBT synagogue, and board members resign in anger. Defend Israel's military actions, like bombing rocket launchers in urban areas, and half of your Facebook friends will disown you, assuming you also support targeting militants at home at night with their families. Governments protect their citizens at the expense of the other, and that means hard choices all the time. If you hadn't noticed, by the way, the United States has been drone striking overseas targets with civilian casualties for many years. For those connected by emotion to a land in which they do not live, those who may agree with some choices that Israel's leadership takes but not others, ethnic solidarity and natural sympathy for human suffering are in conflict. Perhaps such tensions are inevitable given the realities of geopolitics, and perhaps they could be lessened by less construction and more constructive choices. Either way, it is hard to be a Jew because of Jewish suffering, and it is hard to be a Jew when we see Jewish actions, however justifiable, cause suffering. When the family you love makes hard choices, it's never easy. Last night, we explored the universalist impulse to leave behind ethnic definitions for a universal humanity to solve the problem of difference by eliminating difference. If being Jewish is so hard, why bother? Why stay? Why join? Why be connected in any way? If something causes you grief, why not just free yourself and move on? If you are here today on Rosh Hashanah for a Jewish New Year, then you've chosen to bother for one reason or another, and that's good. My goal is not for you to leave and never come back. As Paul Golan of the Jewish Outreach Institute once put it, previous generations were Jewish before they knew it. They were Jewish by birth, Jewish by language, Jewish by neighborhood, Jewish by immigrant and ethnic culture. They wondered how to balance being Jewish and becoming American. Today, the question has shifted. With all of my possible identities, connections, opportunities, 
why should being Jewish be important to me? Why should being Jewish even be on the list? Sixty years ago, Saul Bellows' The Adventures of Augie March opened with this. I am an American, Chicago-born, and go at things as I have taught myself, freestyle, and I will make the record in my own way. Now, Augie March is Jewish, as it comes out in the book, but that's not where he starts his song of himself. American, Chicago-born, go at things as I teach myself, freestyle, make the record in my own way. If we accept that we are something, if we agree it is preferable to be something and not nothing, if we understand that we can be many identities at any moment, then the issue is different, not why be anything, but why be this? What we really have are three questions with the same answer. I asked you to consider last night, if you were born Jewish, why have you stayed Jewish? That's one question. Second, why might someone choose to become Jewish? And if one is connected to Jewishness by marrying someone Jewish or through your own curiosity, why is Jewishness interesting? These are very different questions to very different audiences. Why stay Jewish? Why become Jewish? Why explore things Jewish? I can give you personal reasons why I've stayed Jewish, but I've never become Jewish. I've never discovered the Jewish people through marriage. Nevertheless, I suspect that the answers to all three questions will mostly be the same. As with a lot in life, it all comes down to sales. My father owned a business for over 30 years, and he was always his company's best salesman. He would even try to sell me on seconds at dinner. As I was finishing my undergraduate degree in Judaic studies, he was looking to sell his business and retire. He asked if I'd be interested in taking over the company. I had already decided to be a humanistic rabbi, so I thanked him for the offer and I declined. I said something like, I'm not that interested in being in sales. What do I do as a humanistic rabbi? <laughs> Brochures, websites, marketing, messaging, promotional offers, social media, advertising. I'm selling something different. I'm selling our community. I'm, to some extent, selling myself. The art of sales is really the art of persuasion. It's getting someone to agree this is worth it. You should bother. What I'm selling is the value to you of being with us. We were trying some years ago to come up with a good slogan to get people's attention and get them talking about Kol Hadash. Now, one of my early favorites that didn't make it was Kol Hadash, cheap and easy. <laughs> but another one that I liked that also didn't make the final cut was something that works on two levels. The phrase is, we're better than nothing. <laughs> now, it works two ways. On one level, we're better than nothing. But we are also better than nothing. We're much better than being nothing. Well, in the new world of the 20th century, when emancipation created a new free market, a free market for ideas and inspiration, now we have to come up with new answers. When people choose for themselves where they live, what they eat, what they wear, even what they believe, the old answers, the old selling approach won't work. 
Now imagine you worked for a Jewish ad agency, we'll call it Mad Mensch. In 1964, 50 years ago, what were the top Jewish sellers for why be Jewish? Number one, be Jewish because we made a covenant with God at Mount Sinai. When we follow the Torah, things go well. When we break the rules, we ourselves are broken and scattered until we repent. Now, why was the covenant pitch a big seller? There was a clear bargain, a very strong incentive program the weight of tradition and cosmic authority behind it. Why doesn't the covenant pitch work anymore? Real life never worked that way. Human suffering does not correspond to religiosity or to righteous behavior. To paraphrase the Yiddish poem, Dead Men Don't Praise God, at Sinai we received the Torah, and in the Holocaust we gave it back. Not to mention the fact that the only proof that the Torah was actually given at Sinai is in the Torah itself. And archaeology and historical study have undermined the events claimed to have actually happened. As powerful a story as it may be, no Sinai, no covenant, no deal. Another old pitch, be Jewish because we are the chosen people. Not only are we the favorite children of a cosmic father, we created ethics. We have the most brilliant scientists, the funniest comedians, the best families, and the richest traditions. And as a result, though you shouldn't say it too loudly, the rest of the world is somewhat lesser than us. Why a big seller? The chosen people appeals to our ego. It justifies self-pride. And why would you bother being anything else or marrying anyone else when you can be the best. The chosen people pitch doesn't work anymore either. At a certain point in your development, I hope you outgrew the belief that everything revolves around you, what I call the meocentric theory of the universe. Does it really make sense, does it really make sense that a god of an entire universe of billions of stars would choose one small group of one species on one planet as the most important beings anywhere? the only ones to receive the true story of how everything came to be and what all humanity needs to do in a language that's hard to learn and that very few people speak. <laughs> as history progressed, as freedom rang, we got to know our non-Jewish neighbors, and we learned that they too have wisdom and insight and humor to inform and inspire us. In some cases, they came to love us, and we loved them back. Every group is wonderful and distinct in its own way, but our group better than everyone else? It's just too convenient and self-serving, not to mention rude. Morality and reality reject it. We are no longer the chosen people. If you've ever seen us try to agree on a temperature for the thermostat, we've become the choosy people. <laughs> but chosen people, no sale. Here's another past winner. Be Jewish because Hitler would have killed you. Well, sign me up. <laughs> For a generation, remembering the Holocaust and staying Jewish to deny Hitler's victory was a powerful motivation. But we have to realize that World War II ended almost 70 years ago. And the fact that your people were hated and killed in the past 
does not give you a positive reason to stay connected. No one is motivated to stay Jewish today because of the Chemelnitsky pogroms in Ukraine in 1648. An interesting surprise in the news in the last year, when the Russian soon-to-be empire took over Crimea from Ukraine, one of the ships of the Ukrainian navy they captured was called the Chemelnitsky. They had named it after this rebel who rebelled against Polish landowners and happened to kill thousands of Jews. But I was a little shocked to see that they had actually named a ship after him when I only knew him from pogroms. But again, from 1648. You cannot build a healthy, vibrant, living identity exclusively on fear and trauma and anger. I sometimes define history as what happened before you were paying attention. The mitzvah students I'm tutoring today were born after 9-11. For a child born today, in 2014, 9-11 might as well be Pearl Harbor. They can learn from it, but they cannot live in it. They cannot live for it. Sometimes products do sell out of fear. We know that. But for Jewish identity to be, to be a positive part of our lives, there need to be reasons to be Jewish. Now, the absolute closer, the pitch that worked better than all the rest combined, your ancestors survived inquisition, pogroms, persecution, migration, holocaust, anti-Semitism, and now you're giving up? The award winner, the first, best, and last resort to keep you Jewish 50 years ago, guilt. <laughs> what would your grandmother say if she saw you eating bacon when she starved herself rather than violate her covenant? Not even a covenant with God, but her covenant with the Jewish people. Have you no loyalty? Don't you love your grandmother? At long last, have you no sense of decency? How could you be the one to break the golden chain of Jewish tradition, 4,000 years of pain and tears and joy? You can feel the power. You can feel the pull on the heartstrings, the weight of years and expectations, the manipulation. But guilt doesn't work well in the free market. People in 1964 who refused to buy cars from the Germans or the Japs have grandchildren with Toyota Prii, or Priuses, whatever. <laughs> guilt has its uses. But being Jewish because you feel guilty means that you're living your life as someone else wants you to, someone else's values and choices. This very morning, rabbis are railing at their congregations about Jews who are not in synagogue. They're complaining to the people who are there about the people who are not there. <laughs> Why? You should feel guilty if you even think about not showing up for Yom Kippur, because then I'll be talking about you. The clear truth of Jewish identity today is that it is far easier for people to simply tune out the guilt trip and do something that makes them feel good about themselves. If someone is only at high holiday services, if someone is only Jewish, lest they feel guilty that they've broken the covenant, if you're only Jewish, lest you feel guilty you've abandoned the chosen people, if you're only Jewish, lest you betray your grandparents and finish the work of the Holocaust, then how does your Jewishness improve your life? inspire you, motivate you to deepen a living connection. 
If your ties to being Jewish are negative and painful, then you may endure it once or twice a year, like a dental appointment. And I apologize to my dentist who's in the audience. <laughs> but if that's how you treat it, you'll run away as soon as you can, and you may never come back. Our children learn from what we do far more than from what we say. We need new ideas. We reject the subservience to the past required by the covenant. We reject invidious comparisons with other identities inherent in the chosen people. We refuse to sell through fear or guilt. So what do we have? As we explored last night, there is the value of roots and rootedness, the ability to appreciate diversity because of one's distinctiveness, the strength of positive family connections, the dignity of inheriting the past while owning your own life. These are not unique to Jewish identity. They are valuable in any distinct identity, as long as you do not overgrow their bounds from pride to chauvinism. I've always found it odd to receive Father's Day cards that say, world's number one dad. My response is always, what are your statistics? How do you know that I'm not number three or number 17? Why number one? But if I get a card that says, you're a great dad and I love you, that's distinctive because it's from my children. Our relationship is special without having to be the best. Being Jewish can be special without being chosen. Why be Jewish? Why stay Jewish? Why become Jewish? Why connect with things Jewish? The new marketing today is called micro-targeting. What you are already interested in, I will find you something similar. People who bought this book also bought these other books. In other words, your Jewish connection will be your own, as often or as rarely as you use it and however you use it. Let me share with you three reasons that are compelling to me, and they may be to you as well. First, Jewish is as Jewish does. Judaism is a rich and varied and long tradition. Everything from rational philosophy to animal sacrifice to mystical exploration, hereditary kings and priests giving way to rabbis and religious law, giving way to Jewish masses that ignore rabbis and religious law, multiple languages sharing the same alphabet, artworks celebrated in one corner of the Jewish world and condemned in another. At times we are inspired by our legacy, at times we are alienated, but there is something for everyone, every learning style, every intelligence, every aptitude and interest. This is the beauty of celebrating Judaism as a culture. No matter what you believe, there is always something for you. We can even find a defense of our own challenges to tradition from within our tradition. There's a Jewish tradition of integrity. Those Jews during Inquisition and pogrom who would not say words they did not believe. And even Jewish martyrdom can have its inspiration. I mentioned last night the Yiddish writer Yudlamet Peretz, who was a secular Jew himself. But he has a marvelous story called Three Gifts that encapsulates this vision. In the story Three Gifts, a soul ascends to heaven to be judged, and its deeds are found to be exactly even on the scale. And so the soul is sent back to earth to find three gifts to tip the balance. And so the first gift that is found, he sees a man who is attacked by burglars. He gives them everything except for a bag around his neck, and when they kill him for it, they open it and find dirt but it is earth from the land of Israel with which he was to be buried that he refused to surrender. And so the soul takes that bag. 
The second gift, he sees a woman about to be dragged to her death during a pogrom, but she takes pins and she digs them through her skirt into her legs so her modesty would not be revealed as she is dragged to her death, and he takes one of the bloody pins. And the third, a man goes through a gauntlet of people with clubs who beat him, but he drops his yarmulke, his head covering, and he has a choice. He can leave or he can go back and get it and face more beating, and he does, and he as well dies, and so the bloody yarmulke is taken. These three gifts are brought up to the tribunal in heaven. They are presented to the angels, and the judge looks at them and says, these three gifts are absolutely beautiful, totally worthless, but absolutely beautiful. And there's the dig. On one level, why did they die? It was for something that may not have been true. But the act has a beauty, a power, a sense of commitment and conviction that can still inspire. Jewish is as Jewish does. Second, be a Jew, be a mensch. The Yiddish word mensch means simply a person, but the best kind of person. I am not saying that every Jew is automatically a mensch. I know too many. <laughs> Nor that deep study of Judaism will automatically make you a mensch. Rabbis are arrested for crimes too. I do not believe that Jews invented nor have a monopoly on ethics. We'll talk more about ethics on Yom Kippur morning when we explore why be good. Nevertheless, there are values articulated in Jewish culture that we do celebrate. An emphasis on literacy and learning that we have broadened to include both men and women and secularized beyond the Talmud. An ethic of community responsibility and mutual support combined with a work ethic of individual success. Jews have often celebrated brains over brawn, a welcome respite from today's athlete worship. We have found humor and antidote to the dashed promises of faith when life doesn't turn out as you expect, you can laugh or cry, and we have done both. We have our failings too, but this makes us human. A seasonal example of this ethic. The high holidays are not only about divine forgiveness, even traditionally. It's also about human forgiveness, and not simply asking for forgiveness from someone else, but being willing to offer forgiveness when sincere apology is made. And this means even making yourself available to someone who has wronged you to give them the opportunity to make it right. Is that easy? Not at all. But how wonderful that our tradition explored how hard it can be to repair relationships through human atonement. Buddhist tradition has its lessons and so too does Judaism. Be a Jew, be a mensch. Third, the Jewish citizen of the world. In the last few centuries, Jews have become a prototype of a globalized identity, living within and fluent in other cultures, but still distinct and separate in some ways. A world people with different daily languages, but a common identity beyond that of their city or their country. Sometimes that gave us an outsider's perspective, letting us challenge conventions like Freud's theories on sex or Einstein's relativity. At all times, it gave us the ability to think beyond our personal identity, since we always had more than one. Because of this dual identity, Jews have been accused of being rootless cosmopolitans, citizens of the world with no allegiance to the people among whom they lived. The more that people today circulate in a global economy, the world will need rooted cosmopolitans, 
people who have a global perspective and awareness but still know who they are and where they come from. If you are Jewish, if you've become Jewish, that rootedness can find deep origins in the Jewish experience, and so too can that universal perspective, a Jewish citizen of the world. In the end, I suspect that I am still Jewish because I am stubborn, and that is definitely a Jewish tradition. We have called ourselves a stiff-necked people. In other words, we can be a pain in the neck, or as Henny Youngman might have said, some people have a lower opinion of us. Think about it. More than the Jews have kept being stubborn. Being stubborn has kept the Jews around. You do not get to tell me that I do not get to be Jewish. I am still here, I am still Jewish, because I am going to fight for the right to be who I am on my own terms. If you won't accept me, if you don't think that I am Jewish, or you don't think that what I do is Judaism, that's your problem, not mine. If I lived my life by your standards, it would not be my life. And I refuse to surrender being Jewish to you. Even the Jewish values I reject, chauvinism, anti-feminism, insularity, they are skeletons in my closet, knots on my family tree. It's good to be passionate about things in life. Why not this? Who sold? Am I only selling to myself? Well, I have to start there. Remember Cy Sperling of the Hair Club for Men? He used to say, I'm not only the president, I'm also a client. I'm not only the rabbi of Kol Hadash, I'm also a member and a Sunday school parent and a friend. I'm not only a professional Jew who's paid to be Jewish, Ich bin a Yid, I am a Jew. And that identity provides meaning and inspiration to my life. If the best sales pitch I can offer you is a personal testimonial, then here is mine. In the mid-1990s, on my first trip to Israel, I walked on my own to visit the Western Wall, the last surviving wall of the temple in Jerusalem that was destroyed in 70 of the Common Era. And walking there, I knew there were some barriers to a positive experience. I knew that this is on a mountain that is claimed to be holy by both Jews and Muslims, and the Dome of the Rock right over the Western Wall is a source of conflict even to this day. I knew that the space would be gender segregated, even more so now than it was 20 years ago, with men and women forced to be apart. I knew that that plaza, that big beautiful plaza in front of the wall did not used to be there. There used to be houses, and those houses were knocked down after 1967 to create that plaza. And I also knew that I had forgotten my baseball cap back in the um, campus housing I was staying in, and I had to wear a stupid paper yarmulke that kept blowing off my head. That was the rule of admission to get to the wall. I knew all those things, and I knew I did not bring a piece of paper with a hope for the future to write and leave in the wall. But when I got to the front, and I touched the stones, and I felt how smooth they were, and I realized those stones were smooth because generations of my people had gone to this place, had touched those stones with their fingers. It was electric. I didn't need a supernatural, I didn't need a revelation. It was a connection with my past in my present. That moment deepened my life and continues to. I can still feel those stones. And if you can feel it too, you know why we wish each other L'Shana Tova, a good and a meaningful new year.
We hope you enjoyed listening to the Kol Hadash podcast. For more information about humanistic Judaism, Kol Hadash Congregation, and Rabbi Shalom, visit our website, kolhadash.com. I'm Ken Burke, and thanks for listening.